0: If you are enjoying this podcast, why not try Baker Street 2033 by the same author? A metaphysical mystery involving Sherlock Holmes, virtual reality and fictional objects. Available on Spotify, iTunes and Amazon Music. The trail went cold. Days slid into weeks. The air got even damper so that my bones started to ache with it. I bought a new raincoat and an umbrella. I assumed Wittgenstein was laying low inside the college, licking his wounds. I felt for the crazy punk. I was reduced to roping his old pals for variations on the same old themes. I waded through his book I don't know how many times, but the only bits that made sense to me were the start and the end plus some lines about mysticism that spoke to the agnostic in me. My reports were becoming thin gruel for the client, thin enough that on my last drop there was a message waiting for me, some taxidermist horror show. The head of a rabbit with its ears removed and replaced with an orange duck bill. These guys didn't do subtle, so they knew about the duck rabbit regardless of my silence about it in the reports. It was clear what they wanted. I just had no idea how to get it was all. The landlady was now making regular knocks on my door in the afternoons, and I had gotten into the habit of answering them. Afterwards, we would lie on the bed and smoke her cigarettes. Woodbines. Gaspers, she called them. It felt like each one took a year off my life. The room was left wearing a blue veil of fumes revolving in the light when she eventually left. It was getting so I had to make something happen. A midnight raid on the Doug Rabbit statuette in Godwit rooms, say. Anything to stop the case from stalling fatally. Then, loitering by the Trinity gates as usual, Godwit was suddenly across the way and almost out of sight. It was mid-autumn now. He showed me he was ex-army by the way he walked. He didn't. He marched. I had my work cut out keeping up with him. His manic pace suggested he was trying to shake something off. His past life perhaps. Or maybe he'd gotten wise to me and was trying to shake off his tail. The town looked even more quaint in the Indian summer sun. It kept reminding me of a jigsaw my grandmother liked to do on Sundays. I thought I could get used to it if I'd stayed long enough, say 20 years. We did a long convoluted tramp all over the town, taking in all the sights. A field full of cows, college buildings, more college buildings, and the river which By the way, the eggheads were pushing their boats down it. Everyone kept confusing with the Grand Canal in Venice. There were no blocks, no grid, no sense of organization. You'd have a house next to a pub and then a college next to a hospital. Everything was helter-skelter. The three blind mice could have planned it better. To pass the time, I made a note of all the pubs that we passed. It was like a crazy menagerie. Spotted cow, spotted leopard, Durham Ox, Various swans, a dolphin, and a unicorn. I guess if you was loaded enough, you saw pretty much all these creatures at one time or another. An hour passed. I felt like I was being taken for a long pedestrian ride. The only thing I saw him do of interest was glance at his watch twice. We were heading back into the city centre. He stopped outside a movie theatre on Mill Road called The Playhouse, checked his watch again, shook his head, and went in. He was no longer in the foyer, so I had to think quick. There were three films showing at 14.30. A weepy with Gene Taney and Rex Harrison called The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Apache Rose starring Roy Rogers, and Pirates of Monterey. I didn't have him pegged as a sentimental type, so the question was whether he was more of a gunslinger or a swashbuckler. He didn't look like much of either. Then I remembered the egghead saying he'd been at the front in the First World War. Even if he wasn't packing any iron, he must still know his way around a gat. Maybe he still pined for it. I bought my ticket for the western and went in. The lights were already down in the movie theater. It was pretty full, but the usher showed me to a seat nearer the front. Lady Luck was obviously smiling on me for once, because I was only two rows behind him. Godward had picked the front row and was glued to the action on the screen. I spent an hour and a half watching him watch a film I'd already seen twice. That's detective work for you. All glamour. I must have fallen asleep. When I awoke, the film was still rolling, but Godwood had company. A bloke. They looked pretty cosy. Afterwards, I sniffed around, spoke to a couple of friends off the record, a lad called Hastings, a dame called Pasacalia. He's his amanuensis, said Hastings. Could I have that in plain English, I asked. Scribe, said the dame. I said, you mean copyist, right? She said, yes. I said, then why the hell didn't you just say that? She looked nonplussed, a dirk for more diamonds. Seems Godwit would dictate notes to this kid, and he'd get it all down on paper. Why him, I asked. He's smart, but not a genius. He has this childlike quality, naive, I would guess you'd call it. Finally, they were speaking plain English. He looks like a kid, I said. Almost half his age, said Hastings. Nice boy, though, Frankie. Simple. That's rare around here. I decided there and then that I'd call him the kid. Just like with Tampins, I followed the pair around, got to know their routine. With these two, it was all about the movies, westerns and musicals. I didn't mind that. He gave me something to pad my reports out with and it got me thinking, why the hell was this wise guy into what the Marxists were calling industrialized culture and manufactured art? It was a cultural cocktail of high and low. The Scribe towered over Godwit. They looked happy. Why the hell shouldn't they? I figure everyone has the right to happiness, even gun cells. I heard myself thinking this thought in a pub, drinking beer so warm it felt like a sample I once gave to a doctor. Was I getting soppy? Was the beer making me sentimental? Or was it the Schubert? Maybe it was a landlady's coochie cooing. Follow a fella too long and you start to lose your mind and adopt theirs. I'd seen it happen before to others, but this was a first for me. So it went on for a few months. Then the trees started to rust. Fall was upon me. Everything dew drenched and misty, and so damn depressing that I'd have called melancholics anonymous if they existed. Life got longer as the days shortened. I spent more time in the man loaded with mischief, smoking and drinking and staring into the fire. Maybe it was the Westerns lulling me into this barfly sensibility. Maybe I just wanted out. But then something happened. Something always does. The kid dropped out of view. Boy, did he take some finding. I clocked him gardening, not just once, but for a whole week. A week later, and he was gone again. I found him in a factory on the outskirts of town. Manual labor. The scribing was over. Godwit was nowhere to be seen. It was fishy as hell. What did it mean? Death, apparently. The landlady's newspaper was again the source. History was repeating itself in every way. Another of Godwit's associates in the morgue. The paper said the kid had been lambed by TB. Godwit had been in the hospital with him. Maybe it just looked like TB. Could Godwit really be to blame? The way I saw it, I had two bodies and Godwit was the only clear link between them. But perhaps I was looking at it all wrong. Perhaps it was a case of aspect, like the duck rabbit, Godwit clearly had a thing for innocence. Or maybe it was just innocence, as if these young pups were a beautifying mirror to look in and see the person he wanted to be. Not corrupt and sick on the inside. Perfect. Godwit had a guild complex as high as the Empire State Building. That Pasigalia had mentioned he'd already made a confession. My ears had pricked up at this. To who? I'd asked. A whole bunch of us, at different times, one-on-one. I didn't like it one bit. Guilty men never confess that easily, not to anything worth doing jail time for. I want to see the kid's family. They had no love for Godward, just plenty of blame for making him give up math to work in a factory. Socialism by proxy, his sister called it. Sounded about right to me. He'd talked about emigrating to the USSR with the kid. Proof that comic colors don't just run off in the wash. As for Godward. He looked like a broken man, he was running out of friends and fast. Poor bastard. I don't know why I gave a damn, but I did. Winter set in. The hanging around got harder. They had to buy a thicker coat. Tailing him was impossible in the snow. The reports were getting skimpier to the point where I was making stuff up. I hadn't seen Godwin in a week. It didn't bode well. I was all out of ideas. Even the landlady was giving me the cold shoulder. A younger model had moved in down the corridor with new tricks up his sleeves. Stopping at a local tobacco shop for the only place in town to get a packet of Mexican Alas cigarettes, I ran into the tobacconist. He was blowing smoke with the owner. I guess he was a good customer to have. The usual? asked the actual tobacconist. You betcha. Which conflagration delectation do you favor? These darns were always wordy as hell. Alas, I said. Alas what? No, they called alas Mexican brand. Mexican? Why ever would you smoke a cigarette from Mexico? Because they're genuine horseshit, that's why. He looked stunned and why the hell wouldn't he? Here. Have a look-see. I showed him the illustration on the back of the packet. A cartoon horse in blue outline and a pile of some steaming horse dung. Genuine horse-shit cigarettes is written above it. Oh my. He read out the other remaining text. Mild? Sweet? Stable blended? Oh, so they're not really (laughs) horse-shit. He snorted. Why, that's a jolly good wheeze. Not good enough to tempt me from my Virginia shag, though. He mused, tapping the bowl of his briar. I say, have you seen that dear old fellow Godwit anywhere? He's gone and misplaced himself the past week or so. Nope. Reckon he's done a runner after that scribe business. Awfully sad. Messy. Very Godwit. Do you think he's lying low somewhere? Oh, I expect he's tottered off to that hut of his. Hut? Well, it's more of a shed, really. Hardly habitable from the sound of it. The sort of place one keeps one's gardening utensils, lawnmower and such. I've never seen it myself. Not one of the elect few to be invited thither. Perhaps I'll take a bus out to see it. Bus? I'm afraid you'll need a plane. It's halfway up a mountain in Norway. I imagine it's quite frightful at this time of year, he said, shuddering at the thought. Now I knew he wasn't in his rooms. I decided to sneak in and have a nose round the joint. It looked cold bare, unlived in. On the desk in the corner where the duck rabbit should have been, there was a pile of magazines. Street and Smith. I rifled through them for any papers that might be lodged in between them. Nothing. I took a few as a going away gift to myself, thinking maybe their cliches could give me a few tips on how to do my job properly. It was then that a mark on the desk caught my eye. A duck rabbit had been carved jaggedly into the desk with a knife. It gave me the chills, I was back in the nut house at Penhurst again. Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir will return in Episode 7. I left a note at the Dead Drop. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to consider others by the same writer and producer, such as Baker Street 2033 and Modern Gothic. All are available from the usual podcast outlets. You could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Fitzgerald.